Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you. By the way, I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets. And what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop, which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to The Short Term Show. Today, we have a really cool guest. His name's Bailey Kramer, and we he's our second 21-year-old, 20 or 21-year-old to have on the show in the past little while. So I find that really exciting that the kids, I feel so old saying the kids, I'm 33, <laughs> by the way, I'm not that old, but the kids are, are doing cool things. So I'm really excited to interview you, Bailey. How's it going? Yeah, thanks, Avery. Really appreciate you having me on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you come from, how you got into real estate. For sure. So like, like you said, my name is Bailey Kramer. Right now I live in Orlando, Florida, but grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. How I got into short-term rentals was first how I got into real estate. So I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew that my whole goal was I'd go to college, build a business in college, and by the time it was ready for graduation, I would just have the businesses business to support me and not have to go get a W-2 job. So that was like the stem of everything. And when I was 19, so a sophomore in college, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And after reading that, I learned about the concept of real estate investing. And I was like, that is how I'm going to do it. Like that, that, that's, that, that is the path that's going to get me to becoming financially independent by the time I graduate. So fast forward. I did a couple fix and flips. And when I say fast forward, it took me a year of networking, learning, meeting the right people. Finally did my first fix and flip um, and then did a couple long-term rentals and another fix and flip and eventually found another property that was for sale. We, we did direct to seller marketing. So we found an owner who was really motivated to sell. His house was in 
kind of rough shape. He had health issues, the whole thing. And it was a larger house. So all the houses I bought previous to this one that I'm about to mention was between $68,000 and $200,000. So very low priced houses. This is in um, the Midwest in Illinois. So normal prices for out there. But this one house we came about was $779,000. And I was like, wow, that's a the big house. That's a lot of money, especially for it being just one of my first couple of projects. So we we're like, yeah, we're not going to do a long-term rental on this. The numbers weren't going to be great. And then we were too afraid to fix and flip it because taking a $779,000 gamble plus rehab costs, we weren't trying to make a million dollar flip in our first, you know, and our, our third ever flip. So we said, what else can we do with this? Because we, we like to be creative. So we looked up on Airbnb to see, you know, is that an option around here? What other properties are near us? Our next door neighbor had his property on Airbnb and we were like, okay, our house, we just from looking at it because we went to the property, our house is bigger. It's better, better location, better view. It can accommodate more people. And we, we said, okay, he's renting his property out for $1,300 a night. If we can get $1,000 a night, would this be a good deal? So we ran the numbers at $1,000 a night, giving it our best guess. And it was a solid deal at $1,000 a night. So from there, we said, let's go for it. Um, raised a little bit of money. And then that was like the introduction to short-term rentals for me. Okay. So you kind of backed into it. So let me, I have some questions about how you ended up in the Midwest or in Illinois yeah. from, you live in Orlando, but you're from <laughs> Michigan, Minnesota? Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Okay. So how'd you end up choosing uh, Illinois for, to do your fix and flips? Yeah. Great question. So when I was in like that learning stage between rich dad, poor dad, and actually buying that first property, I basically started with no network, no money, no, like not a great credit. Like I started from a, a clean slate. So I realized early on from talking to a bunch of people that networking is like the number one thing that I need to do to just meet the right people. So I would make it my mission to, to message three people a day on bigger pockets. I scaled that up to 10 people a day, just getting to know people left and right. And through doing that, I joined a mastermind group which for those who don't know, it's a group of like-minded people coming together who, you know, to focus on one target. And this group was actually focused on multifamily real estate because I thought that was like what I wanted to do. But through that mastermind group, I met somebody and this happened, this happened a lot of times with people and it never worked out. But this time it finally worked out where someone said, Hey Bailey, um, I have some experience in real estate. He lives in Illinois. So that's how Illinois came about. But he says, I have, I, I can't find any deals. Can you help me find some deals? So him and I partnered up to do off-market lead generation, which was my which was my value add, which I had the time. I had no experience, but I had the time since I was in college. So that's how we partnered up. And he was familiar with his backyard. So I said, that sounds good to me. <laughs> that is a point that I really want to highlight, especially for new investors, is never underestimate the value of time as a value add. So I know I personally, I've got all this whole list of things that I need to do to grow my portfolio further, but I don't have time to do them. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> somebody like you who, you know, you may not have a lot of experience yet, but you have the right mindset. Uh, that would be somebody that 
it, that really would add value to somebody like me. Like I don't have the time to do it, but if you have the right mindset and you have the time, then you're somebody that can help me as a more experienced investor. So I want everybody to remember that, that uh, never underestimate the value of time as a value add. So that's awesome. For sure. For sure. So are you still in college right now? <laughs> so I'm 21 now. If all went according to my parents' plan, I'd be graduating in a little bit less than a month, but I did drop out of school four months ago. I was, well, actually, yeah. So two semesters ago, I was just fully focusing on my business and didn't do too hot in school. That put me a couple classes behind. So I, ha I would have actually another semester to go, but I did drop out in January. I said, I, I don't have the, the mental capacity to, to worry about this, to think about it. I've already was set on what I wanted to do on the entrepreneur route. And then I had my actual business going and generating me money. So I said, I'm done and, and dropped out. So no longer in school. How'd that go over with mom and dad? <laughs> they were not thrilled about it, but they were fine with it. I, I've been telling them that I wanted to drop out for basically ever since I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I was like, oh, I want to drop out and just do this. But it obviously takes time. So I wasn't comfortable and they definitely were not comfortable with me dropping out if I didn't have something going already. So the fact that I had it going, supporting myself, they they really had nothing to say. <laughs> okay, so here's the million dollar question, so to speak. Are you making more money doing what you're doing than what you would be in an entry level job after you graduate? Yes, but also an entry level job after I graduate was never like that was never a, a that was never a possibility, honestly. It was always like, I knew, I knew for a fact. It's funny, I actually have a video. I'm gonna be releasing it in less than a month. I took a video of my freshman dorm room. I'm not gonna spill too many beans right now, but I made a video my first day of college after my parents left to help me move in. And in that video, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it because it's gonna be crazy when I release it. But I've always had this thought that something was gonna come about. I didn't know it was real estate until I read Rich Dad Poor Dad sophomore year but I knew it was something. Um, so luckily found real estate and, and made it happen. That's awesome. That's This is a really cool story. So now my question, before we get into any potential short-term talk, how are you financing? So when you're in college, you don't have a lot of time to go get a job, to get the DTI, to buy property. So how are you financing these fix and flips when you first started? Yeah. So we use all creative financing and more more specifically seller financing that was like the the main one we used we've done two subject twos and then one of the deals was cash so never gotten a mortgage from a bank never did any type of loan other than um you know seller financing and then pr private capital for for the cash that we needed okay and then you're financing back out of these properties to after you've Fix them or wait, no, you're sorry. You're flipping them. So you're selling them. Well, so two of them, two of them, we flipped um, those one of them. So two fix and flips, one of them, we bought cash and then we sold it. So we paid back our investors and we made a nice profit at the end from that. Another fix and flip. We actually seller financed it and flipped it. So that was, that was a cool one that we flipped that one in like three months. Um, and then the rentals, one of them is the long-term rentals. One of them is seller financed and we're still holding on to that note still today. It's a 10 year term. So we have some time. The other one is subject to, which is a whole nother strategy we can touch on if you'd like. And then as far as the Airbnbs go, the ones that I own, one of them is seller financing as well. 
And then the other one is subject to. So let's talk about that as well. Yep. You used that phrase subject to several times. So let's talk about what a subject to deal is. What's that? For sure. And I'm going to be honest, it's not a strategy that I love because it's in real estate. It's, it's kind of in the gray zone. A lot of people do it. A lot of people teach how to do it. At the end of the day, it's in the gray zone. And I'll tell you why. So what subject two is, is essentially taking over someone else's mortgage. So what happens is, and what, so I'll, I'll give you like a, an exact scenario of, of what happened with us. We were doing our cold call and our texting, and we found a property owner who had zero equity in his property. He bought it like a year ago and bought it really high. And he was just right at market value, but he, his job forced him to move down to Texas. So he needed to move and sell his house. This guy also took all the cash he had and bought a brand new truck. He bought a brand new boat. So he really had no money, although he had like his cool toys. So for him to sell his house, he would have to pay realtor fees. He would, so he, he'd be coming out of pocket at the end of the day, probably close to $15,000, $20,000 because of the fact that he doesn't have any equity in the property. So to alleviate his pain and his problem, and, and at the same time, he has to go qualify for another house down in Texas. So to alleviate his problem, what we said is, listen, you're responsible for your mortgage. We have obviously our contract. We have our attorneys that do the back end legal work of it. And then when he goes to Texas to buy a new house, his mortgage broker says, oh, well, you have a, you have a mortgage for a house in Illinois. And then there's a special form. Again, I'm not an expert in the legal side or the mortgage side, but there's a form that basically he can show his mortgage broker that he's no he's no longer responsible for that debt and then or not responsible for up to 95% of that debt or something like that. And then he's able to qualify for another house in Texas. So from that property, we just take over his mortgage payments. They're 1200 bucks a month. And we rent that out for $1,850 a month. That one's not a good location for short-term rentals. So we don't do that strategy. We just do long-term rentals. But that's kind of the, the gist of, of the subject to strategy. That's really interesting. The, and there's always a way, guys. Like there's always yeah. somebody that needs you to provide a solution to them in this exact way. So what all is in your portfolio right now? How many properties? How many long-terms? How many short-terms? So the ones that I own, two long-terms, two short-terms. And then I have the co-hosting business, which is going to be, um, well, yes, yeah, so I, I managed two of the short-term rentals. So I kind of just bulked that in too. So I'm going to be at 16 short-term rentals that I'll be managing by the end of this month. We're adding an eight-unit boutique hotel and one other short-term rental that one of the owners I work with bought. So we'll be at 16 short-term rentals by the end of the month, 14 of them that I co-host and two of them that I own. Okay. And where are all these different properties? <laughs> funny, funny question. All over the place. <laughs> so about 10 or 11 of them are in Illinois. They're all in this one main lake called the Chain of Lakes. That's Northern Illinois. That's 11 or so. One of them is in a city called Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is South Southern Wisconsin. Two of them are in a town called Terre Haute, Indiana. So those are actually more traveling nurse style 90 day rentals. And then I have two properties I co-host in Pinehurst, North Carolina. 
And those okay. are just your tr traditional uh, short-term rental vacation style houses. Okay. And the places that are all in these Midwest lake markets. So I know absolutely nothing about those markets. So let's talk about the short terms in those markets. What are the names of those markets again? So that one is in what I call, or what's known as the chain of lakes. Okay. Reason being is because it's like 13 lakes literally combined together and it makes an awesome spot for the summer. Okay. So people are coming in from, what are the major metro areas that vacationers so, are coming in from? Yeah. So we have Chicago, which is probably the main hub. Everyone, so in the Midwest, at least from my experience, everyone like goes north for traveling. So like Chicago goes north to where we're at in the Chain of Lakes. We also have Milwaukee and we also have Madison as kind of the big central hubs. Okay, awesome. And so you have 12 of your 14 SDRs that you manage are in those areas? Correct. Okay. Yep. Okay, awesome. And what is the purchase price on one of those properties versus like how much they should make? You yeah. Can so one as an example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and the, the ones that I manage in that area, the person I manage it for is the person that I own the first property with. Okay. So I'm involved in all the numbers and all the, the processes. So, but I, I just don't have ownership. That was just, a, that's another story, Okay. but those properties are, are larger. So they are, on average, $800,000 for the three big properties. One of them is zoned commercially. So, or um, zoned commercially also has a special designation. So we're actually able to do weddings there. So that one's going to probably bring in closer to $300,000 with the weddings. Um, the other one that's not zoned commercially, just residential, that one will bring in between 200 and 250. And there's actually two of them right next door to each other. So they'll both bring in 200 to 250 each respectively. So these are $800,000 houses that will bring in 200 to 250. Yep. And well, we bought them, we bought them at 800,000. Oh, okay. We, we put in, so we bought them at 779. We put in 80 grand of work and now they're worth over a million bucks. Obviously okay. this market's crazy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is that, but it's, um, they're probably valued at close to 1.1 million bucks. Okay. The, the, the area of the lake that, that these houses are on is like the nicer area. So houses can go up to two to 3 million in this area, just depending on if they have a pool, if they have, if they're how big they are, but yeah. So when you're doing direct to seller marketing, so did you specifically target these areas as potential short-term rentals or were you just targeting a blanket area for long-terms and these several came up that would be good short-term. So you took them on. Yeah. So at first it was, at first I, I didn't even know it. I didn't know about short-term rentals when I was first doing the cold calling and texting. So it was strictly just like a geofence around a whole big city that we liked or that he knew. And I was said sure to, and then I ended up knowing and liking. Um, and that was at first. Then once we got this first property, then it was okay. Let's change the shift to short-term rentals. But this first short-term rental after we got this one, we actually stopped doing direct to seller marketing. And here's why the property right next door to us, right? When we, when we bought this first short-term rental, my partner went over to the neighbor's house, introduced himself and said, um, Hey, if you're ever thinking about selling your house, let me know. And he's like, ah, actually, I'm actually considering it because he's older. He lives by himself now. It's a really big house. So 
long story short, he ended up selling that house to my partner. Um, so we didn't need any direct to seller marketing for that one. And then the big, the big house for the, that that's going to have the weddings at it's funny enough. My mom was actually in a Facebook group, like just like the Illinois Facebook group. And some realtor said, I have a house coming to market has eight bedrooms. And, uh, if you want an, if you want to peek at it before it goes to market, let me know. So my mom just sends me screenshots and 99.9% of the times it's like stupid stuff and it never works out. But I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to follow up with this realtor. And that one actually worked out. So that was actually kind of funny. And then we had wholesalers for the other one and Facebook groups for the other. Isn't that so funny when your parents, <laughs> something comes about because of your parents? <laughs> they're right, like, oh, yeah, right. so they, that happened to me recently. I can't remember what it was about, but my mom saw something and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I got to get in on that. Um, that's funny. Okay. So, uh, so how big are these properties that are bringing in 200 to 250? What size? So they sleep, the, the biggest one that has the weddings, that sleeps up to 27 people comfortably. The, the first one I bought that, and, and, and the, and the next door house that we have sleeps 20 people. We could squeeze in a couple more if, when we disclaim to them that, listen, we, you know, cause a lot of times we're having bachelor parties or we're having family events where people don't mind squishing in a little bit. So we'll let them know we'll sleep up to 24, 25 at those houses, but they're really made for, for 20. Okay. So these are big houses. Yeah. <laughs> they have... <laughs> Like, so it's like the, the first one, for example, has, um, seven or eight bedrooms in the main house. And then there's a little guest house that has two bedrooms, um, has like ba outside basketball court. Um, and then the house is going to have the weddings. We actually already have them. Some of them already scheduled. That one has like the main house, which has eight or nine bedrooms in it. And then it has above the garage, like three really nice apartment style units with oh. four beds in one, two beds in the other, and then two beds in, in the next. So, and, we, and we, we rent them all together. So there's a lot of beds there. Wow, that is. So let's talk about <laughs> the weddings for a second, because I, I see investors all the time who are like, oh, you know, I want a big property that people can have weddings at. But let's talk about that. So yeah. weddings, I cannot think of a bigger pain in the ass thing to deal with than someone's wedding. People are going to be like under the most, I mean, at least, I mean, I've, from the South where we have huge weddings and there's so much tradition. And if like you take a step the wrong direction, then it's rude. So it's like, I can't think of anything more stressful than being the venue for someone's wedding. So are you guys partnering with like a wedding planner or like an event company or something to handle all that part? Or how, how are you working that? Yes. So as far as the wedding planning goes, we do actually, it's really actually funny story. This came about because all this, I mean, now I have all the systems, all like the knowledge, but this was all, this all happened very fast and naturally. So we got an inquiry for my first property for a wedding. And we said, okay, if you, you know, if you're going to do a small 25, 50 person wedding, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll have it at the property. And that person was actually a, a wet, her mom was a wedding planner. She was like an interior designer. So it was like this crazy, they fell in love with the house. It was crazy. So that's who we met. And then when we, then when my partner bought that second big house, that was actually made for the weddings. We said, Hey, you should probably have your wedding at this house. It's bigger, better. And they said, wow, yes, I love this. So fast forward, 
they're kind of our wedding planning partners now. So anybody that has a wedding, um, they hire them for an additional thousand dollar fee. All that money goes to them. And then they handle all the planning. I honestly, I'm not a wedding planner, so I don't even understand all the crazy logistics of it. Uh, besides obviously tables, chairs, whatever's involved in it. That's why we have her. Oh, it's terrible. And, she, it's and terrible. she handles. Yeah. So she's handling everything. Okay. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cause I was curious about that. Cause my own wedding, uh, I just got so sick of dealing with trying to plan it and do this or that. And these flowers or that, that I finally, my husband and I just like went to my parents and we're like, can we come get married on y'all's front porch? Cause they have one of those big grand, like Southern front porches. Yeah. And so we just went and did it like two weeks later on my parents' front porch and my grandfather officiated and it was really cute and all that. But I just nice. remember being like, how do people deal with this? This is so annoying. Like, I don't even care if it's right there or right here. Like, let's just, you know, let's get married, you know? Right, <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. That just kind of gives me panic attacks to think of trying to manage that for someone else. And then they're yelling and anyway, but you seem to have found a good, uh, a really good avenue to offload that to someone else. So that's awesome. And for those of you who are thinking about doing that, that is definitely the way to go partner with yeah. a local event company or a wedding planner so that you don't have to be the brunt of all of that. For sure. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So um, well, I'm very impressed with you being able to do all this, like while you were in college without really any capital to speak of. Right. So you're, you did all of this through creative financing. So these are a lot of limiting beliefs that you've busted through to, uh, to become successful. So, uh, that is very impressive. I'm very impressed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So we are to the last three questions of the show. The first of which, I'm not really sure how you're going to answer it because you are 21. And the advice is the question is what advice would you have for 20 year old Bailey? For how old? 20. 20-year-old <laughs> Bailey. Okay. So really, I guess this is this is applicable no matter how old, but obviously the younger, the better, is start networking. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not smarter or more intelligent than, than most people. That's not how I've gotten all these units because I'm some like wicked smart person. I just found out early on that networking was the biggest piece out of it all. And that's, that's it right there. Like the networking can, can, can fill the gaps to every single piece that you're like, have a limiting belief about. I need a lot of money. Well, what if you had a network that had money? I don't have experience. Well, what if you had a network that had experience? So if you're starting from zero, that's fine. I did too. But the network will, will like push you forward like tenfold at least and, and help you fill in all the gaps that you need. Yeah. Your network is your net worth, right? For sure. For sure. All right. So next question, similar to the first question, what advice do you have for a brand new investor looking to get started today? And today is market, which is a little crazy and uncertain. What do you think? Yeah. Um, one question I hear a lot is like, what market should I invest in? So that, that's like one question and advice with that, or I guess really any <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of different pieces of advice, but I would say similar to the networking piece, but this is more specific to short-term rentals work with somebody who has experience in short-term rentals. I know Avery, that's what you guys do is you work, like you guys are the short-term rental pros. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on the show, like seriously, don't just go into a market and, and go blindly. Even though I have experience now with short-term rentals, 
I'm going to a new market and I found an agent who um, specifies in short-term rentals. So it doesn't matter if you're brand new or you're experienced, you want to work with agents who have experience in markets, especially if you don't know it or know it that well. And even if you're like, oh, but I love to vacation in Nashville. I've been there for vacation or for partying a bunch. That does not mean you know the short-term rental scene there. So definitely work with agents who who know what they're who know what they're talking about. Yes, I 100% agree because in a lot of markets there's a lot of especially in metro markets like Nashville like you said there's just so many moving parts and rules are changing and sometimes there are things coming down the pipe with the city council that aren't out yet that you know just an agent who sells mostly primary homes might not be tuned into so whether and that's with any asset class not just short terms you know if you're working if you're trying to buy multifamilies you know use a multi a commercial broker who does that all the time so really good advice and last question what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset favorite book i got to go with rich dad poor dad and, and and the biggest the biggest mindset shift out of that book is is buy assets and let the assets pay for your liabilities. So don't just go straight for that shiny car. Invest that money and let your let your assets pay for pay for your for your liabilities. And that was like the biggest mind shift mindset shift. Because if you go straight to buying the assets, well then your money's done. But if you invest it, it'll continue to grow and feed your fun activities like a cool car or something like that. Also, really good advice. Well, Bailey, thank you so much for coming on. If our listeners want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Yeah, thanks, Avery. Best way to get a hold of me, Instagram or TikTok, the underscore Bailey underscore Kramer. If you just look up my name, Bailey Kramer on Instagram or TikTok, should pop up. Um, so yeah, those are probably the two best places. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on and we'll catch you later. Yeah, thanks again, Avery.